Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're almost finished with our series where we're walking through the values of Salt Church. We've explained that every family has its own fingerprint. The Clark family is different from the White family, from the McDearman family. Every family's just got its own flavor. Every family's got its own way of doing things. And those aren't wrong, but they're going to emphasize certain things. Different families will have a different emphasis. It should all be under the umbrella of King Jesus. But within that, we've got lots of freedom. There's lots of different ways to do things, all clearly within obedience still to King Jesus. Well, it's not too different when it comes to a local church. A local church is going to have a particular way about it. A local church is going to have a particular fingerprint, a particular personality. And a lot of times, that's... Not a lot of times. That's almost always going to be shaped by the elders of that church. The elder of the church has been called to shepherd that church, and the elder of the church has a calling, has a drive, has a distinct gifting. The elder of the church doesn't have everything. Those elders, they're not a complete, full-bodied set of like, oh, this is, this is Jesus himself. No, it's not Jesus. It's an under-shepherd, though, of Jesus, who, because Jesus loves his church, he has given a pastor to. He has given a shepherd to. But that man, in this case me, has been built a certain way. And there are certain distinctions that I see the Lord leading me to lead the church in. The same would be true for Pastor Ken, my pastor at Lighthouse, or any other church in the whole wide world. Those pastors, they love that flock, and they're going to lead that flock in the way that the Lord built them. You can't help but do it any other way. I can't help but love my wife as John Michael. You know, well, you're supposed to be a biblical husband. I am a biblical husband. And at the same time, I'm John Michael as I'm being a biblical husband. Well, you're supposed to be a biblical pastor. I am a biblical pastor and I'm still John Michael. Well, you're supposed to be a biblical church. We are a biblical church and we're salt church more specifically though. So those are good things. Those aren't bad things. So we've been identifying our different values, what it means and what it looks like for us to be us. What makes salt church not lighthouse church or pure life church or any other church. So we're in John chapter 13, and the value that we're talking about today that we as Salt Church are going to emphasize is this. We are deeply committed to each other. That's the value. Again, like most of the values we've listed, why do you have to say that? Isn't that obvious? Well, yes, it should be. It should be obvious, but we are going to focus on it in a distinct way because in a lot of cases, it can be overlooked. It is easily overlooked, as we're going to see this morning as we look at the Word. John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. This is his last night on earth before uh, he dies. Of course, he's going to be resurrected, then he's going to be back on the earth for 40 days. Um, and eventually he'll be back on the earth forever and ever. But you follow here. This is a, a, an important moment. He's giving his most distinct messages to his disciples. He's laying it on thick. He's pouring on the absolute most important things that are happening. John chapter 13, verse 34. is where we're going to read from. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'll read it again from verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So on one hand, it seems like, how is that a new commandment? He had taught that before. Whenever he had said, hey, you know the law, all the specifics, you got to do this and you got to do this that God assigned. He said, all that's summed up by if you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That sums it up. What makes this a new command? This is a new command because the, the distinction he makes. He doesn't just leave it vague for them to define their own love for one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Yeah, you taught us that, Lord. We know. Just as I have loved you. Oh, game changer. Uh How does Jesus love? That's a different level. That's entirely different from what I had in mind. Oh, I loved you. Yeah, yeah, I loved him good enough. Loved him as good as I could. Well, that's not the command, is it? Love one another. Okay, Jesus, I can do that. Just as I have loved you. Oh, okay, so you just set the bar in a whole new place. You are also to love one another. Well, why is that so significant, Jesus? What's the big deal with that? Verse 35, by this, by what? By you loving each other the way that I love you, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what do we see right here? We see a couple of things. The bar for love is way higher than we would typically give it. This is not the love that I have for, I love the beach. You know, this is not, I love a good cheeseburger. This is far above and beyond. This isn't, this isn't even a vague thing. Jesus gets specific. You have to love each other the way I loved you. Yeah. That's the example. And, he, and he's not even finished making his example to them yet. He's going to be doing that over the next 16 hours. Mm-hmm. The example will be totally completed right in front of their eyes. This is how I love you. As he goes to the cross, as he goes to the whipping post, and he does it all because he chooses it, not because anyone forces it upon him. So we also see love for the church is the evidence of loving and following King Jesus. Love for the church is the evidence of loving and following King Jesus. The world, who is ready to kill each other, looks at the church and sees a people who are ready to die for each other. This is the universal difference between us and the rest of the world. How do, how do, how do people know you're a Christian? Well, it's your love for one another yeah. that people can know you're a Christ follower. Yeah. Well, I love Jesus a lot, but, but what? You're about to contradict and disagree with what he teaches love for him looks like? Is that what you're about to do? Because I bet you were. But that's where that was going. That's the temptation though, right? No, I love the Lord. It's just the church and the people and, and this, that, and the other. He, he, he doesn't allow that exit for us. So the question I've got to ask myself, and every disciple of Jesus should ask themselves, if you were dragged into court and accused of being a disciple of Jesus, would they have enough evidence to convict you just by looking at your relationship with other Christians? That lawyer wants to lock you away. This is a Christ follower. And the judge and the jury's going, okay, what's your proof? Like, you need evidence of their love for other Christians. Because the, the Christ, they're, the one you claim they're following, said that's the distinction. Yeah. So is there enough evidence to lock you away and throw away the key? Is there enough evidence to say, obviously, look, look, boom, 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 boom. Look at all this stuff. Some, a lot of things would be strangely absent from that list, right? Yeah. I want it to be other evidences. I want it to be other stuff. Dude, I read my Bible. Come on, man. Like, 
I go to church, okay? Like, I go to church. That's what we were tempted to think. That's the evidence, right? That's the evidence that I love God. According to God, the evidence that I love God and that I follow him is that I love you, is that I love the church. I love the people of God, that I love the body of God. I love the head, but I hate the body. Huh? What if somebody said that about you, your best friend? I love your head. Your head is like my favorite. But the rest of you, like, ugh. Can we just cut your head off? No, we can't. Because they're one. They're one in the same. Jesus proved this again whenever he appears to Paul. Paul, who had been persecuting the church, killing Christians, harassing the body of Christ. Jesus knocks him off his high horse in the, in, in the road. He says, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute, what did he say? Me. Me. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the people. Jesus didn't make any division there. Why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And then he began to explain to him, Jesus doesn't make a division between himself and his people. Our unification with Christ is profound. This is why we see all that language in the New Testament, the in Christ, in whom, through him, through whom, because we are truly unified with Christ. He doesn't make a distinction. So this will be a marker of Salt Church, our love and our commitment to one another, made obvious by our actions. This is not just, oh, I 100% feel those deep feelings. Well, 100% feeling those deep feelings is 100% going to produce things that your eyes can see. It is 100% going to produce things in the physical world. I love my wife a whole bunch. But like, you know, she lives in a different state and I live in a different state. But like, oh my goodness, the affection and care that I feel for her. It's so profound. You You wouldn't even believe it. We know that's stupid. We call that as ridiculous as it is. How in the world do we justify doing it any different in the body of Christ? I love Jesus so much. I love God. I'm a faithful follower of him. Oh, what's, what's, your, what's your walk like? Who, what are the saints that you're walking with? Who is the body that you're, that you're walking out the kingdom life with? And they're in your business and you're in theirs. And you're, you're caring for their needs and they're caring for yours. And you know, they're the hand and you're the foot. Who's that? Ugh. I'm I'm a really guys. I'm a really I'm a really I'm a really you know personal person or you know now I'm gonna start to insert all the things that I would want to say. Well, you know, I tried that or I'm looking for a church or again, maybe I've been in church for fifty years and this is still a foreign concept to me because my love is not manifested through actions. In Genesis four, Cain kills Abel. So Adam and Eve, they have two sons. Cain is the older, Abel is the younger, and Cain is angry at Abel because Abel offers a sacrifice that's acceptable to God, and Cain doesn't. So it's ridiculous. It's illogical. And the Lord says to Cain, he's like, why are you mad? Why are you downcast? If you do well, will you not be rewarded? If you do poorly, you know, will you not be punished? And, and Cain takes it out on Abel and murders his brother. And when he does, God comes to Cain and he asks him, where is Abel, your brother? He doesn't even just ask him, where's Abel? He says, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain responds with the famous line, am I my brother's keeper? Like, you know your heart's wrong when you're being a smart aleck to God. Like, 
But that's, but that's what a liar is going to do, right? He's not going to answer it directly. A liar isn't going to fully say, I don't know, which he, he did say. He said, I, I, I know, I know if not, uh, am I my brother's keeper? He didn't leave it just right there. He went further to, to find a, a way to kind of, uh, am I responsible for Abel now? Did you, did you put me in charge of him? Sit down, buddy. I'll get to you later, my man. Okay, go ahead. Is it about Cain and Abel? Good boy. It's the same reason he, he asks Adam in the garden. When God comes into the garden, he comes and he says, Adam, where are you? Yeah, but he Right. God already knows. So God is giving Adam and God is giving Cain a chance to repent. So, they, so that they can actually humble themselves and be rescued before God. Thankfully, Adam actually answered well. I was ashamed, I ate the fruit, I was naked, so I hid. Cain responds with rebellion, and that's why Cain gets even such an extra severe punishment. But the Lord is saying, will you be humble? Instead of the Lord saying, I know what you did. Of course, you're right, buddy. The Lord does know what he did, okay? But the Lord has given him a chance to tell the truth. The Lord has given him a chance to humble himself. But what is the punishment that will be to Cain? I'll read it to you later. I'm not going to preach on it right now. Good question, though, my man. So, yes, God knows everything. If God asks a question, it's for our benefit, not for God's. God's not confused or curious or wondering about anything. So Cain asked that, Cain asked that question, you know, am I my brother's keeper? And, of course, the answer really is yes. You are your brother's keeper. That's the point. In this case, even in a particular way, you're the older brother over your younger brother. In a particular way, he's your brother. So yeah, you are his keeper. Even if you were the younger brother, you are going to, nature itself teaches you that you should have this bond. Yeah. But the backslider goes, what, what is that? Is that my thing? Is that my responsibility now? Yes, it is. You are to be your brother's keeper. This is the expectation that the Lord has of Cain. And if your heart was devoted to God, then you would have been devoted to your brother. But your heart wasn't devoted to God, which is why you offered a poor sacrifice to begin with. Well, my heart's right toward the Lord, but it's just, but it's not. Well, I feel like it is. Well, you're deceived. You're still loved and you can be rescued, but you're lying or you're just wrong. How do, what makes you say that? Well, I feel so strongly. I believe that you feel so strongly. And I still know how to read. So we come back to the book and we come back to what God says. Why is this important to us? Because we want to be deeply committed to one another. Because this is the mark of Christian discipleship. This is the mark of a Christ follower. You want everybody to know that you're his disciple? By this, all people will know you're my disciples. What is that, Jesus? That sounds super important. If you have love for one another. What kind of love? The same love that I've loved you with. This is the test. This is safe. So if anyone says they love Jesus but don't care for his church, they reveal that they are in fact not in fellowship with King Jesus because they have the same attitude as the first murderer, which says, what, am I responsible for others in the body of Christ now? <laughs> yeah, now you get it. Exactly. Of course we are. That's the point. Not only are we responsible for them, we're joyfully responsible for them, like a mother with her newborn. It's not, oh, it's, 
Yes, my baby. I love my baby. I want to provide for my baby. Brothers and sisters in the body of Christ are eager. It's not a, it's not a burden. It's not a weight that I dread. It's not, uh, now this. It's, of course, I rejoice. I celebrate. The same way that me and Natalie celebrated, to, like we said, to meet Christians in the wild this past week that we hadn't known, that we didn't know where they were from or where they were going, but we found out that they loved the king and were unified. We care for them. I regretted when we left. I got caught up in conversation. I was like, ugh, I should have bought their meal. You know, I should have grabbed the waitress and grabbed their ticket. I was bummed that I didn't think to do that sooner. Why? Because I want, I, not that they were in need, but I just, they're, they're, they're the family of God. Like, I, that would have just been fun. Pay their bill and run away. Ha ha, you can't do anything about it. You're welcome. <laughs> that would have been, why? Because I love them. I have affection for them. I don't even know them. We chatted for a few minutes at the dinner table. Why? Because I love Jesus. So obviously, love for him is going to create this love for his people. No matter where I go, no matter what they look like, no matter how they worship, no matter what their denomination, if they are the people of God, I love them. Amen. And I can't help but love them. So we have this gift of a simple test. You know, I pray this way often when we talk about our offering. You know, God has given us this simple test. Do I love money more than God? No need to wonder. Tithing 10% of my income is the test that tells me the truth about where my heart is when it comes to serving God or serving mammon. Yep. Yep. It's a simple test. I'm like, oh, I feel, but I feel. Well, it's a simple test. At any given moment, I can assess myself. Do I love God? No need to wonder. Loving the church is the test to tell me about the truth about where my heart is. And of course, laying down your life would be the test of discipleship for the one who laid down his life for us. Of course that would be the test. Of course it would. You know, if we said, I'm, I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of, like, you know, the coffee guy. He drinks two gallons of coffee a day. Oh, are you also a coffee drinker? I'm not big into coffee, actually. But I'm his disciple. Like, what? Like, that's, what his, that's his whole thing. That's his jam. So if you're a disciple of the, the coffee drinking guy, how would you not like coffee? Well, I just kind of like the smell of it sometimes. But... You know, I don't drink coffee personally. So the one who gave his life for his friends and his enemies, why would it not be the obvious and perfect test? Are you a disciple of that guy? The one who gave his life for everybody else and poured out his life? Yeah, 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 I'm a disciple of his. So you obviously also therefore pour out your life for others, right? No, no, I just follow him. I just follow him because he did it. And I think that's super cool that he did it. And I'm like, with him. I want to be a beneficiary of what he did, but I'm not like going to follow him in obedience. Well, again, I'm not unfortunately. He defined what being his disciple looks like. Yeah. You want to be my disciple? Take up your cross and follow me. To where? To what? To love people the way that I have loved you. That's the calling. That's the burden. And that's why modern listeners didn't stay with him or not that's why the, the the listeners of his age wouldn't stay with him because they understood what he was demanding yeah. and then they saw what it required this is why some people were joyfully christians and others were like man uh that's that's hard that's a lot to ask yeah. it is a lot to ask well, you can't do it on your own that's why you actually have to be changed you actually that's why there has to actually be the miracle of the new birth so for a person who's like, I just can't make myself do it. Well, join the club. Nobody can. 
uh, except that God makes you a new creation. And then I can start to walk in obedience by the grace of God because I, he actually gives me new desires. These aren't things that I'm white knuckling or things that I'm mustering up. Now, maybe these things have gone dormant in you. Maybe you've grown, grown cold in your love. Maybe you've grown lukewarm. Well, that's why we're refreshed. That's why we focus on the word of God. This is why we have to continually feast on the scriptures because they will constantly show me areas where I thought I was squared away. Ooh, I repent of that. I repent of that. The Christian life is to be marked by repentance, not by perfection. A Christian life is always going to be marked by repentance and humility and repentance and humility and repentance and humility. Growing, we're going up the mountain. We're not just staying down here. Oh, I've been down here 50 years. I'm never going to mature. That's weird. That's wrong. Something's off here. But even as I grow, even as I may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the humility increases and the repentance increases. Because I, the closer I get to his holiness, the more I am aware of my own sin. So we have this simple test, and it makes perfect sense that if I claim to love the one who laid down his life for his friends and his enemies, of course, I would have to assess myself by that same standard. But a lot of times we want to follow Jesus and go, I follow Christ. What's it mean to be a Christ follower? Well, it means I trust in his sacrifice for me. Okay, and then what? Do you do anything with it? Well, then you make disciples. But what do you teach them to do to obey everything he commanded? What did he command? He commanded us to love. This is the command. To love God. Okay, I can get out of that one. It feels like that's just an affection. That's a feeling. That's a thought. Easy enough. I can check that box and love others. Well, what does that look like? It looks like something. It shows up in the flesh. It shows up in the world. It shows up in the arena. For the early Christians, it showed up immediately, and it showed up frequently, and it was to the point of bloodshed. It was... What, Am I my brother's keeper? Pfft. Not only am I my brother's keeper, I'm my brother's everything. Yeah. Like that, because that's my brother. So it's interesting, of course, Jesus told us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. That's crazy. These are the things that I would think would be the marker of a Christ follower. Calls Jesus Lord. Calls Jesus King. Casts out demons. Does many mighty works in the name of Jesus. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How in the world is this even possible? I don't, have a good theology, I don't have a good theological explanation for how it's going to be possible that people drove out demons right. in the name of Jesus, healed the sick, did mighty works in the name of Jesus, and King Jesus will say to their face, depart from me. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. All this stuff, this, this to me feels like super spiritual life, right? This is... This is that's a legit Christian right there. And he will look in their face and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And he will throw them into the lake of fire. And it will be justified. It won't be like, mm, he was a little harsh. No, it will be totally justified and right. What does he say the marker is? Love and devotion will be the markers, not miracles. Should, should miracles follow? Of course, definitely, absolutely. That is biblical. 
But his point is, if you do all these things, and Paul says that as well. He's like, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm doing nothing. I'm pointless. I'm a sounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. I'm just wasting space. Mm. So yes, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, our, that's the value we're going to be talking about next week. We pursue the gifts of the Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to have his way. We want the, the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation in us, through us, among us. But when they are happening, that will, we will not point to that as our evidence to say, look, the Lord is with us. Right. Because apparently that's not it. If we want to be able to point to evidence to say the Lord is with us, it will be us laying down our lives for one another. That will be the evidence. That will be the proof that reassures the world and our own conscience. Question your salvation. Worried about what you believe. Worried about your security. Look at your love for the saints. And hopefully you have instantly constant reassurance. Oh, oh, well, that's, that's so reassuring. Or maybe you go, okay, well, maybe you've grown cold. Maybe you're lukewarm. Oh, no, what must I do? It's called repentance. Welcome to the walk. Let's stay on the, on the path, on the narrow path to follow Jesus. You may remember me telling the story, I've told it a couple times, I think, to y'all, about the gang member. So Francis Chan is a pastor who I really love and have enjoyed listening to for years. And they had a, a gang member join their church. He gives his life to Christ, and he's baptized. And after he was baptized, not long after, he ends up just falling off the radar and Pastor Francis had asked his staff and asked the members of the church, he's like, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him. Where is he? Where is he? I'm like, I don't know. He's stopped coming. He stopped showing up. So he reaches out to him, tracks him down. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? Like, you were growing. You were thriving. It seemed like you were joining the family. And he said, yeah. He said, uh, I thought when I got baptized that, like, I was going to be a part of the family. And I thought we were going to, like, be together. Because when I got jumped into the gang... They became my brothers for life. Like, it became such a bond. We were inseparable. We were together all the time. We had each other's backs. That was family. He said, I thought when I got baptized that it was going to be like I was joining the family. I didn't know it was just like Sunday mornings back to regular, whatever. And, of course, Pastor Chan, he just repented. He's just, like, apologizing, saying, no, you're right. It should have been that. That's what should have happened. We've done it wrong. And we all have. The modern church, John Michael included, there's a mirror, let me look in it. That guy has done it wrong. That guy too, he's everywhere. He's done it wrong. Our love is weak. Our love is deficient. Our love is selfish. My love is not enough. And that is why, like I've told you many times, This is not a, I've been doing this right for decades. Come follow along. This is me saying, I'm I'm a part of Salt Church, just like you. And this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. These values. This is the church that I want to be at. This is the church I want to be in the pews of. Where we actually love each other like this. Where we're truly caring for one another. Where, am I my brother's keeper? Of course. Of course I am. And my sister and everybody else. And they're mine. I want that. Now, there's many reasons why our culture has drifted away from that, and they are all lies and excuses. So I find it pointless to walk through them. All I know to do is start where I am and continue to grow. 
That's all I know to do. But if I don't have the target, then I'll just pat myself on the back and say, I think you're doing a great job with that. Why? Because I'm comparing to lukewarm love all around. I'm going, well, I'm a step above most of what I see. And honestly, that's true of me. I'm a step above most of what I see until I read this book. And then I go, oh, how about you just compare yourself to the words of Jesus instead of so-and-so or church down the road or Francis Chan. Man, when they baptize somebody, they just act like whatever. Good luck. You're still on your own. We're not actually going to care for you in any significant way. I got that guy beat. No, I'm not in competition with the church. My mission is to crucify the flesh and to love like Jesus. To love like Jesus so that I can actually show the world. What is this going to look like for Saul Church? 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. All right, he's about to make a very black and white statement here. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Keep reading. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death from life because we love the brothers. How do you know you've passed from death to life? If you love the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God knows everything, doesn't he, Hudson? Yes, sir. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So this is very practical. He says, what do you have? He says, if you've got these these, worldly goods, if you've got money, if you've got means, if you've got resources, and you see the Christian in need, and you go, yeah, best of luck to you. So he's getting real specific with the church. John is here. So what do you have that the rest of the disciples need, church? Use that to show your love. What can you do for your brothers and sisters? Use that to show your love. How can you help? Use that to show your love. This, he says, will reassure your own heart. This is not actions are going to save you. That's not what's being taught here. It's not your works save you. But your works are your evidence to to yourself, to your own heart, to say, I do love God. I do love God's people. Because I joyfully, out of a heart that understands what Christ has done for me, I want to continue to pour that out. Not only in a needs-based moment, but at all times. Like, I look for that. I, I eagerly desire that. 
It's my desire. I want to make more money in my business because I want to be able to be more generous. So that's the, that's the heart that comes from you saying like, man, I'm, I see other needs. I, if I'm covered, thank you, Lord, cover me, but prosper me so I can cover others. Blessed to be a blessing is not a cliche. It is a, it's a reality for the believer that you actually feel and desire. I don't need a million dollars. Yeah, but you, but you could use that. Like, that could help the church. Like, yeah, so what if I get an extra million? Ah, it's no big deal to me. Yeah, that may not be a big deal to you, and that's good that you don't have a love for money like that. But get that tool if you can. Get that resource because that's going to help the body. You can do things. We can advance the kingdom. Money answers a lot of things, and that's what John is speaking to here. He's saying, hey, like, if you got that tool, this is one way you can show that love. So this reassures our own hearts. And if I don't have the fruits of love, I bring suspicion onto my profession of faith because a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So let's look at another example. Turn to your left. We'll go to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, and we'll close with this. What does this look like for the early church? What is our heritage? What, what did our, our grandfathers and grandmothers of the early church? Acts chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we know from church history that the early church, particularly the persecuted church, their love for one another was always being seen. It was always profound. It was always sacrificial. And they, they actually spent time together. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Their love for one another was remarkable to the world around them. The world around them was confused by it. We literally have letters from Roman emperors, Roman officials who were actually perplexed, saying, we are feeding these people to lions, but they still follow their Jesus. We threaten them to stop the things that they do, their love feasts that Christians would have, where they would get together, where they would take communion, where they would care for one another. We threaten them, we kill them, we cut the heads off of their pastors, and these people won't stop. The world was befuddled. They couldn't understand why are they doing this. Well, because we really know King Jesus. We've really been changed by him. And yes, we can't help but love each other. We won't stop loving each other. And that became the evidence. And that was the accusation that they made against the church. Look how they love each other. So a Roman emperor, they, he, he called us the atheists because we, weren't mono, because we weren't polytheistic. We didn't have many gods. We only had one. So they, they accused us and mockingly called us the atheists. 
and, which is a pretty heavy insult in my opinion, but uh, they said the atheists, look, they do this and they do this and they do that. And he's writing a letter to his priests, to the false temple priests and all these false God priests throughout Rome. And he's saying, do, do better. Even the atheists outdo us when it comes to this and that and the other. Well, why can these pagan God, uh, God worshipers not do anything? Because they don't have anything inside. Yeah. They're dead. They're of their father, the devil. Yeah. Why are the Christians fruitful? Because they actually have been born again and they can't help but show all these acts of love. He's like, they care for their poor. He said, they care for our sick. They care for our poor. They even tend to the graves, which was a, a, an important thing for that time and place. They tend to the graves of their dead, but they tend to the graves of ours. Their love, like this love is blowing my mind. And of course, he was blinded to the truth of like, hey man, maybe there's something there. You ought to dig in a little bit. But instead, he was just doubling down saying, their love, it, they're doing better than us, which doesn't make any sense. Of course, it makes sense. They're following Jesus. This sounds like the kingdom of God. The early church, reading that, Acts 2, 42 through 47, every time I read it, my heart is just longing. I have an ache when I read it. This is not supposed to just be back in the good old days. Right. And I refuse to live the rest of my life and never taste this. I've absolutely refused. When I decided to plant this church, I said, I'm, I'm not doing church as I've done it. Yeah. That's not a slam to church as I've done it. But it is a desire for, for what I see and what I want. Yeah. I'm not playing a game. I don't care to be a preacher or a pastor in the sense of I want to be somebody. Is this my calling? Absolutely. Do I take it seriously? Definitely. Do I want to be faithful and do I love you well? Yes. But these things... These values that I'm walking you through, I refuse to finish this series and then just put these up on a wall somewhere where they just die and we don't live them out. I am going, I've got to lead by example. I know that, but I want you to understand my hunger and desire for these things is real. This was not a filler sermon. This is not something I just need to, we're supposed to say it. We're supposed to feel it. I really, really want to feel it and taste it. I know in the eternal kingdom, we will. But like we've said before, five minutes on the other side of eternity, I don't want to be filled with that overwhelming regret of the the 80 years I had back on that planet. Are you kidding me? Look what I did. Look how lame my love was. No, man, you did great, says another person on earth right now to me, maybe, because they want to make themselves feel better. They want to reassure themselves. I don't want to be comforted by anybody who's not, who's not pursuing the highest and the best. Yeah. Well, that sounds like hard work. It doesn't to me. It sounds like joy. It just sounds like joy. I don't even feel like I'm describing a burden here. I, I don't feel like I, have to, I should have to sell this to anybody. Like, no, we're going to love each other. Like, this is what we're built for. This is who we are in Christ. If, it's, if, it, if there isn't a spark of desire for you in any of this, you should challenge yourself to say, what might that mean? What might that indicate? But this is what the Lord has for us. That's who we are called to be. This is all the early church would have known and recognized. Oh my goodness, if we had a time machine, if we could bring some early Christians back and walk them through the Western life and the Western way that Jesus has followed and the way we love one another, they'd be like, when are you gathering with the saints? We're like, we'll see them Sunday morning. I don't know their names or where they're about or what they're doing or what they're struggling with, but that's the pastor's job. Like he's got to, he's got to take care of 5,000 people in attendance and 
You know, I'm just there like, I just, I just need, I just go for the, the, the worship. It uplifts me. They'd be like, I don't want the worship. Yeah, like the band, like they have this concert and we just like, it's uplifting. And I just get uplifted. You know, and it's just, yeah. Am I not supposed to be uplifted? I want you to be uplifted. How could you not be uplifted in the presence of God? Yeah. That's an impossibility. But do we see the difference? The yeah. consumer, ver- feed me, pastor. Well, I want to feed you. I'm called to feed you. But do we see the difference here between I'm in the kingdom, I'm in the fight, and I'm committed, I'm eagerly loving. You know, it's immature. A child doesn't see the need to love and contribute to the rest of the family. They're just thinking about themselves. That's okay. They can grow, but they will grow. You are going to empty the dishwasher. You are going to take out the trash. Why do I? Because this is your home. Of course you would want to contribute. If you didn't want to, that would be weird. That'd be a problem. If you're 17 years old and you don't want to contribute, you don't love this family, man, we got, stuff is off here. How could you not love us more? How do you not have affection for us? How do you not have gratitude? Why would you not want to contribute? That's a, that's a profound selfishness, right? We've experienced that. We all experience that as teenagers. But maturity brings new desire. So we're not to condemn our hearts today, saints. I'm not condemning you. I'm encouraging you and painting the picture. The quote you've heard me say before, if you want to build a ship, you don't just start gathering people. You gather wood. You cut beams. You start nailing stuff together. You teach them to, va- you teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Let's build a boat. Everybody, start building a boat. Why? So what I want to do instead, like by reading from Acts and showing you again what Jesus has said and painting a picture of the kingdom, I want you to yearn for the vast and endless sea. I want you to yearn for what God has. I want you to let the Holy Spirit start to stir in your imagination. What might it look like for the Lord to start to do things differently in my life? What might it look like for me to connect with the body of Christ in a way that I haven't even seen before? I was talking with my brother. He's a pastor as well about this yesterday. I said, man, a lot of the struggles I feel right now I deal with as a pastor have to do with, I don't feel like I can look to anything and say, that's where we're going. I've got the word, but man, I'm like, I wish there was a church where I could go, oh, thank you. That is, that's it. I don't feel like I see one. Are you condemning everybody? No, but I am being honest. I'm being honest. I feel like there's a big gap between what I read here and what I've experienced and what I see. That's not a condemnation to anybody. But I'm just like, I can't help but be honest about, about my perspective on it. So I am increasing my yearning, and I want to share that burden of desire with you so that we can d- together start to yearn for and imagine and, and start to ask the Lord in prayer, what would it look like for us to, to live this way? We know that's a time and a place and a culture and a society. We're not Jerusalem We're not Jerusalem, you know, right then. We're us right now. But I know that there's more, and I know it's rich, and I know it's beautiful, and I know I want the world to look at us and know that we're his disciples, not because we gather at 10 a.m. on a Sunday or 10.02 on a Sunday, but because of our love for one another. That's the life that I want to live. So the world gets hung up on some of this, and they're thinking, oh, is it? You know, is this just about sacrifice of giving money to each other? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't worry. It's not about that. It's about way more than that. It's about giving blood, as the early church did, all the way to the point of death. And this sounds extreme. This sounds like a cult. You can call it whatever you want. We, I call it faithfulness to King Jesus and obedience to his word. 
you know, that's it. We're not trying to be weird, but we're being sacrificial and loving. So while the world is like Cain and willing to murder their own brother, Salt Church is going to be like Jesus, not even content to be our brother's keeper, but also lovingly laying down our lives for our friends. This is the vision that God has for us. This is who we're called to be. Every Christian, of course, but in particular, we are going to pursue it. If, if you're not comfortable with that, I want you to be uncomfortable in Salt Church. If you're uncomfortable with any of the values we've gone through so far, I hope you'll be very uncomfortable in this church. I hope it would always feel like, this doesn't fit me. That, that, that's conviction. And it will, it will cause a person to respond with repentance or it will cause a person to be like, hey, it's not my flavor. And say, God bless you. God bless you. I love you. I don't condemn you. I get it. It's, it's not, it wasn't a low bar, but I don't feel like I said it anyway. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown for us. You displayed your love. You didn't just say, I love you. Jesus didn't just come to the earth and say, I'll hang out with you for a little while, and then I will ascend into heaven. You showed your love by suffering and by sacrificing. No greater love has any man than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends. That's the calling that you've put on your church so that we could look more and more and be more and more like you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would swell up these desires within us, stir our affections for you and therefore for one another. Help us, Lord, to, to never again adopt the, the idea that we could somehow feel on fire for you, but feel cold for our brothers and sisters, that we would somehow care deeply for you, but care little for the body of Christ, in particular the body of Christ that we have committed to, where, where we are members together in Salt Church. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us into this love. And Lord, we want those other things as well. We want the works of Jesus. We want the, the healings and the prophecy and the driving out of demons. We expect that and we want all of that. But you said those are not the markers that the world will know. And those are not the markers that comfort our own heart. So grow our, grow our love for one another. Help us to look more and more like you. Make Salt Church marked by the love of Christ. Not just friendliness, but a, lo- a sacrificial love. Not just, a, not just a, a talkativeness on a Sunday morning, but a life that looks like a sacrificial life of love so that we can be confident and so that making disciples becomes so much easier. That will be our best advertisement, Lord, as we make disciples, as people look at our our self-sacrificing love that we have for one another, and they're blown away, and then you will add to our number daily. Glorify your name through us, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen.